And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Small Business This is Matters. the Community Radio Network on station. The half right? hour pro. There he goes. See, <laughs> we're experiencing some technical difficulties today. I was warned by the previous uh, guys that there would be some issues. And so if we hear a bit of stop starting, that's not me. That's the computer. But welcome, everyone. Welcome to Small Biz Matters, the half hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. I am your trusted small biz advocate slash advisor slash admin expert slash wearer of all hats, Alexi Boy. From Boyd Office Management Services, proud supporters of Triple H. And I'm very excited. I've got a fantastic guest in the show today, which I'm very excited to talk about. And we're going to be talking all about visas and uh, applying and what, what impact the changes, the recent legislative changes you might have heard about in the last couple of weeks, how that's going to impact on small businesses, not only in, in our area, but obviously across uh, across Australia. And we have an expert in her field. We have Shelley Duffy here from Simply Visas, a local uh, fantastic little business. Thanks for joining us, Shelley. Thanks, Alexi. Pleasure to be here. Now, tell me first about your your journey because we like to talk to people who live locally about what their experience has been what is it that led you towards this career um, and and how what sort of skills and expertise did you pick up along the way tell me a little bit about that so uh, basically I've been in the immigration space for about 10 years now I'm working in a corporate environment and I decided to uh, use the knowledge that I'd gained in that environment to start up my own business very sensible and um, been uh, going for uh, the last three years now so basically, um, I've tried to build my reputation about around providing a personalised service mm-hmm. um, that's tailored to people's needs, and through that dedication to um, providing that personalised service, that's led through um, the majority of my work coming through word of mouth. It's quite funny you should say that personalised service because there's a real disconnect between the corporate world and that personalised service. Was something you were craving when you were in the corporate world and you didn't feel that they could really deliver? Yeah, I think so. I think um, when you're working in that large type of environment, it is um, you tend to get passed around to different people and things like that, mm. whereas I wanted to build a one-on-one relationship with my clients. Mm. It's, it's, when that's what's what we're experts at. That's what small business is all about and why we're, why, why we're so good at as well. Exactly. Well, I mean, I think uh, this is very topical and the reason why I asked you to come on the show is because, um, you know, little variations that happen in government policy can actually have really big consequences to small business. As we all know, that could be anything from tax law changes to superannuation changes to employment law and all these regulations and, the, you know, the claims by the government to be reducing red tape isn't really. I just feel like they're just tying knots in the red tape to trip us up. So last few weeks, there's been some pretty major overhauls to the 457 visa system in Australia. Uh, And if you're a small business that maybe relies on overseas workers that fill the void or or maybe you've got a lack of of qualified, experienced personnel who who live here, you might be looking offshore to try and fill that gap. These changes are going to have big consequences. And I think, you know, I talk a lot on this program about I'm a bit anti-offshoring. I'll be very honest about that. Mm. But this is not this situation. We're talking about businesses that literally cannot function, whether it be because of a brain drain situation or because the skill set just isn't there or we don't have the history of of upskilling workers in the way that they need it um, that become quite crucial for those sort of visas. So these changes are going to have big consequences for for now and into the future for businesses um and and basically that's that's what today's show is all about is sort of navigating that that around a little bit so talk me through why in the first place businesses tend to to prefer overseas workers um and and how is it real how hard is it really if you're starting out like most of us are in small business you're going down the path of, a, of a, a new tack and you have really no clue where to begin. Is is it one of those 
situations which is very, very hard to navigate your way around, um, the, 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 the use of overseas workers? Look, it really depends on the company. Um, there's, a, there's a number of variables that come into play. So it depends on the size of the company, how many Australian workers you employ, um, what skill set you're actually looking for. And um, one of the major focuses from the, the department's perspective is on training. So what they want to see is that the business has a strong commitment to training. The reason why the department wants to see that information, um, and it is specifically you have to meet specific targets and benchmarks on a yearly basis. The reason why they want to see that information is to show that you have an interest in upskilling Australians and then reducing your uh, reliance on overseas workers as a whole. So generally a business would consider employing an overseas worker when they have a genuine shortage. They've genuinely been out looking for an Australian worker to fill. In some instances it might also be that it's a very niche skill set and we simply don't have it here in Australia. But in a lot of cases it's more a matter of a company actually has been seeking out um, an Australian employee and has been advertising aggressively and has been unable to attract the right type of talent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I'm going to be I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I know that this is in, in a lot of people's minds. We've bought we've all been in the corporate world, particularly if you've been in the advertising and marketing space. And we know that there's bosses out there who go, I really need this guy but I need to employ him on a four, five, seven. Now, what do I have to do to pretend that I've advertised aggressively to try and get those other people? Are there people like that? Do they exist? And, and are there some people who are trying to get through, fall through the cracks to try and get through that loophole? Look, I guess there's always going to be people out there like that. Um, but the majority of my clients, I think they genuinely have sought out an Australian in the first instance mm. and they've struggled mm. and that's what's led them down the path of sponsorship. Mm. So yeah, it's um, of course there's always going to be some people who try to um, to try to slip through the, the cracks as such. But I think with these changes that are coming into place, that's really going to crack down on those types of organisation. So basically at the moment there's um, a requirement to do labour market testing which means you have to prove that you've advertised within cer- certain occupations and there's certain exemptions around that. Mm-hmm. But You're beginning um, to, It's beginning to sound like employment law and, and modern award wages. I mean it's just... There's, that's, this is another example of why you need to seek out a consultant and get the expertise because there's no way. It sounds like a minefield, really. Yeah. So they, um, they're going to really tighten up on that and it's going to be a requirement for all businesses unless international trade obligations apply, that you have to prove that you've advertised. So that actually means submitting to the department your job advertisements that you've placed and they have to have occurred in the last 12 months, mm-hmm. um, the number of applicants that you've received, why they were unsuccessful. So your process of weeding out the the, the ones that weren't successful. Exactly. And, and I guess you have to go through an interview process for a number of these as well, right? You can't just go, ah, CV, no, 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 no. Okay, I've done my process. It's more it's more detailed than that, right? Yeah. So they, they have a specific report which they um, often get companies to complete which will say, this is the advertisement that we placed, this is how long it went through a recruiter or we put it directly on Seek or on LinkedIn. Processes and procedures that we keep going on about in this (laughs) show. But you have to have those processes and procedures in place for your HR in general anyway. So it's a good idea to have that in place so that down the road, if you find yourself in a situation where you can't fill the gap with someone local, that you go, oh, look, 
I don't have to go back and fudge the, the reporting. I can say, look, this person literally didn't make it because they failed at this question, this question and this question. Yeah, and, and generally most businesses will have that track record if it's a genuine need. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> only when they're fudging it, they're not really going to have the records anyway. <laughs> now, you mentioned before the word sponsorship. Take me through what does that mean? Because we're, if we're talking to people in small business who, who have no idea, no experience in this field, what, what do you mean by the word sponsorship? How does that work? Okay, so in broad terms, um, when you're looking to take on an overseas worker on a 457 visa, which is one of the most popular temporary work visas, there's three stages to the process. There's a sponsorship application where the business applies to become a business sponsor. At that stage, the department looks at things like the number of Australians, the, the total breakdown of the workforce. Um, they look at the training within the organisation. They want to see the financials of the business. Um, so they do go into quite a lot of detail uh, at that stage. Once that's approved, you would gain approval as a standard business sponsor. So that would give you the ability to sponsor overseas workers um, for 18 months if you're a startup, which is a company less than 12 months old, and five years if you're an established business, so more than 12 months old. And that's just, it's not necessarily on your P&L or how big you are or how many employees you've got. It's just whether you're an established business that can show year-on-year progression. They profit isn't as uh, isn't as um, important as showing that your company has the capacities to support the position mm-hmm. that you're looking for. Oh, great! So we've got companies who, like we all try so hard to be tax negative, are not going to be disadvantaged by this process. Hey, hallelujah! Finally, a, a government organisation that actually sees that that's not that's part of the process. Yeah, look, you can have a um, a modest profit and still show that with through your wages expenditure and things like that, that you can potentially support an additional position. So that definitely, it, it's not going to work against you as such, providing you meet the, the other variables in the application process. Now, with once you're an approved sponsor, um, any time you have an overseas worker that you want to bring on board, you have to lodge a nomination. And the 457 business nomination is where you nominate a skilled overseas worker to fill a certain position within your business. At that stage of the application, the department looks at the job description for the role and every occupation in Australia and New Zealand is is classified. So basically they'll compare the job description with the uh, classification code that you've selected. They'll also look at things like the market salary rate for the position. Um, So one of the things that the department is really concerned with is that the overseas work is not being disadvantaged in any way and vice versa with an Australian. So they want to see that the overseas worker isn't being paid a rate that's less favourable than what an Aussie would receive. Mm -hmm. Um, And similarly, if the Aussie's being paid less, they want to know why. Yep. So they kind of go into a lot of detail with the the actual position itself and then the final stage is the applicant's visa and that's where the department looks at the worker's skill set in comparison to the job role that they're going to be undertaking. So every job role has um, a certain skill level. For example, um, a software engineer would require a relevant bachelor degree or five years experience in the field. So every code has its own um, classification and the department wants to see that the person has the skill set to work in that position. So it's a pretty tight fit, this match between the person that you're trying to put in the role and uh, and the role itself. It's, it's not a simple process. This is quite complex. How long would you say it would take 
uh, between making the decision or realising that you're going to need to go to an overseas worker all the way through to employment? Well, how much time should people allow? I know that's a bit of a how long is a piece of string question, <laughs> but in the perfect scenario, with all the complications you've just listed, what would you ex- people should expect? It really depends. Um, <laughs> when it comes to the department, they, uh, you know, they can take as long as they wish to process an application. They set the um, processing standard at the moment as around six months. Wow. So um, Be patient, people. (laughs) Six months in small business world is like an eon. It's crazy because what we aim to do at Simply Visa is we look to lodge all three stages of the application together. Mm. So we work with the company and the, the worker to get together all the paperwork, make sure everything is absolutely spot on. So mm. by the time it hits a case officer's desk, they can make a decision straight away. Yeah, they've got everything they need. They're not going back and forth and asking exactly. for information. Yeah. So, and look, some businesses who sponsor a lot of overseas workers who have a, an excellent track record with the department, their visa applications might be processed a bit quicker. You also have the option of um, requesting priority assistance from the department. Now, that in itself is, an, is another um, process in that you have to put in a formal request mm. and you have to have a strong business case. The department won't simply just put your application above others unless you have good reason. And they also want to see supporting documentation. So yeah. it might be, look, we really need this worker to come on board because... Or we're going to lose this contract. We're going to miss this client exactly. opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. And that's going to mean X for the business, like in, in dollar terms, say. Mm, mm. And then you attach a copy of the contract, put it forward to the, for their consideration. And in that instance, you can get a decision back in three to five days. Whoa. So, <laughs> so yeah. That's a big difference between it, that and the six months. But but either way, I mean, this is another another great example of where hiring uh, or, or engaging with a consult, consultancy firm, a practice that is an expert in their field across, you know, this is across everything. Sometimes we can't wear all the hats and we've got to be able to outsource those sort of things because I, I can't imagine the myriad of complications there must be. In, this is like a paperwork nightmare. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely that's, that's, a, that's a good option. And um, we're just going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. So today we are talking all things uh, immigration. We're talking things all things four five seven. The recent changes which can affect small businesses in quite a dramatic way. As as we all know, the slightest change in government policy does mean an overhaul. Does mean um, everyone's got to re-examine their processes and procedures. And I've got Shelley Duffy here today from Simply Visas. Just before the break, we were talking about what the process is and the three step process is for engaging with um, with uh, someone who you think needs to come from an as an overseas worker what's what's your job as as uh, as a business what do you have to prove what's their job as a, as an immigrant what do they have to prove and then how do you tie that all in and um, interesting concept there that you have to allow for about six months which as I mentioned is quite a long time in in small business world so let's talk me through some of the recent changes Shelley um, that there, there was an announcement as, as most people who are not embedded in the industry, I went, mm, that's that's kind of going to affect things. What what do the recent changes mean? What are they specifically and what do they mean for small business? Well, first of all, there's a number of changes that have already come into play. Oh, so when they actually came in the day they were announced? Yeah. Or, oh, wow, that's yeah. helpful. Which, which is um, unheard of. Oh, right. <laughs> normally, um, normally when the department's looking to implement changes, we do get a bit of notice um, and they'll say, look, uh, we're, we're going to implement changes on 1st of July. They're yeah. going to be the following. 
Um, it was a bit crazy because the lead up to the 457 changes being announced, there was things in the media saying that, look, we're looking at moderating numbers, but in terms of the the abolition of the 457 visa, um, put everyone into a spin and bit of a panic mode. <laughs> so uh, the phone was red hot that day and everyone was panicking. I'm on a 457 visa. What's going to happen? Yeah, do I have to leave the country tomorrow? Yeah, exactly. So it really affects people's lives in a pretty dramatic way, doesn't definitely, it? Definitely, definitely. Um, I think the main thing to point out at this stage is that the 457 visa program is still active. Um, the visa itself won't actually be abolished until March of 2018. Um, there have, however, been significant changes which were implemented on the 19th of April and these affect uh, the occupations that you can sponsor. Mm. So there's been 216 occupations removed from the skills list. What's the total generally? I mean, are we talking 50% are gone or...? Uh, look, we've got um, at the moment, I think it's around, it's basically split into two lists and I think there's around 600 occupations all up roughly. Don't quote me on that one. <laughs> I have to, um, still getting my head around all the different, um, what's actually been removed. Um, the, I think the, from the 19th of April, if your application was in and you've got an occupation that had been removed from the list, you basically will be given the opportunity to withdraw that application and seek a refund of the fees that you've paid to the department. That's as a business. As a business. Yeah. Okay. But if you've engaged a professional like myself to process the application, obviously we've gone through the process and unfortunately they're, they're not something you can recoup, but you have the small, um, I guess, the the option of being able to, to get a refund of those fees that you've paid to the department. Um, and which of those... Which of those- was it a particular sector that they targeted when they removed those 215 occupations? I mean, was it sort of, you know, we're going we're gonna to take away the, the chance for hospitality or retail? Was it a sector or did they just sort of, are they, are they culling? They didn't focus on any one sector. They, uh, the information that uh, we've received as agents is that um, they were occupations that maybe haven't been used utilised a lot in the last five years. Oh, okay. They also um, liaise with the Department of Employment to see um, figures on different types of occupations, and that's kind of formed the basis of what occupations that have that have been removed. Mm. They that sort, of, sort of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if they're, they're putting all this extra admin time into facilitating these particular occupations that aren't being utilised by business for 457, you might as well cull them out so that you know, you're not having to monitor that sector yeah. as well as other things. Yeah, so that um, that's obviously happened, and that happened immediately. Those occupations were removed and um, there's going to be further occupations removed again in July, again in December and probably again in March. What percentage do you foresee those to be? I'm not sure. We, yeah. we just don't know at this stage. <laughs> we can do as we're told. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, yeah, one of the joys of being a migration agent. You just have to get up to date with the, with the legislation and apply it correctly and mm. be able to advise your clients. Yeah, it sounds like bookkeeping. <laughs> <laughs> so we we move forward and we've got these things being streamlined and that's obviously a big thing. Is that, again, something that you can check? Is there a particular occupation you can punch into a website and say this is or is not no longer valid for a 457? I know that they're abolishing 457s altogether, but in terms of um, the ability to bring in an overseas worker... Is there some sort of a website that you can check that on? Yeah, definitely. So they've basically, um, 
if you go to the department's website, they have... Um, it's the Department of Immigration. Department of Immigration Federal, and yeah. Border Protection. Right. So they've got a link which actually takes you to the 216 occupations that have been removed. Ah. Now, what we had previously is, um, without going into too much uh, immigration jargon here, they had um, a CESOL, which is was the Consolidated Skilled Occupation List, and that's now been replaced by a short-term list. And we also had a SOL, which was the Skilled Occupation List. And that's been replaced to uh, by the medium and long-term skills shortage list. That's what you're talking about with the whole, there's more of them coming out on this date, more of them coming out on this date, and that those lists are going to change continually. They are. They're going to, yep, they're going to continue to be updated. Uh, those occupation lists apply as at now. So what af- the effect that that's had is that having a short-term list and a medium to long-term list now means that if you apply for a 457 anywhere between now and March next year, the validity period of the 457 visa will be affected. So um, formally, if you apply for a 457, it would be for up to four years. Yeah, that's what it used to be. Yeah. So, however, now, if you have an occupation that's on the short-term list, Mm. you'll get uh, a visa for two years only with the option to renew for a further two years onshore. But that's, but that's you've already spent six months trying to find this person and apply and then you're only going to be able to keep them for two years. Yeah. Right. And then if you're on the medium to long-term list, you'll get your four-year visa and you'll also have a pathway to permanent residency. So historically, the 457 has been a, a bit... A stepping stone, in a way, to permanent mm. residency, irrespective of which occupation it is. And it, now they're just streamlining which ones can stay and which ones are only here exactly, for short term. Exactly, exactly. That that okay. I'm just going to put my layman hat on here, yep. which which is what I've been wearing the whole time. <laughs> but is that logical? I mean, does that sort of if they're going to streamline things and we're going to get information from employment agency or you guys are going to get information from employment um, statistics? Um, and they're going to be cutting back. Uh, do you think they're doing this in a sensible way? The, to me, it makes it kind of makes sense what you're saying, now that I've had it actually explained to me well. It makes sense that they, they're culling back on certain industries that aren't being used too much anyway, so they're d- reducing their administration time, plus they're making it more difficult to have the 457 as a pathway to permanent residency as an auto thing. They're making it so that only really the industries that we need these skill workers in, which they have assessed as an agency, to be the case. Have they done proper consultation, in your opinion? Have they talked to professional associations? Have they spoken to the IT sector about where the skill shortages is? Or have they literally just been looking at stats? What's your opinion on that? Um, As far as I can see, there is going to be consultation that will occur over the next few months and up until March next year. That's because they're going to work out which of those lists and where those occupations sit? Yeah. Okay. um, They did obviously consult with the... uh, They they did look at a lot of statistics prior to deciding on which occupations to remove and I think further stakeholder consultation will occur. Um, But prior to 19th of April when these changes were released, not a lot was made available to us in terms of what what like the reason behind um making these changes and i think it's funny how you mentioned also or asked with regards to was it industry specific Mm. um for example to give you like an example of a, a type of client that i work with in the architecture industry an interior designer would be on the short-term list, so they'll have two years and then a possible further two years, whereas an architect is 
on the medium to long-term list, which is a four year. So they fall into the same, they work in the same types of companies. Um, they have the same skill level requirements, mm. yet one's on the short term, one's on the medium to long term. So where's the logic in that? It, it, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Yeah. So when you have like your clients come to you and say like they ask that exact question, it's hard to, to give a, to give an opinion. As I say, as an agent, we just have to interpret the new legislation and make sure we apply it correctly. It's a really good point, actually, which we talk about a lot on Small Biz Matters, which is all about making sure that you are part and active in your professional association, because this is a way that you, as a professional in, in your area of expertise, actually have some say and some impact on these things so by all means if you have a professional association that you have access to become a member get involved be part of the committee and have a voice because without these things uh, you know you as you said you need to be considered as a stakeholder in these decisions yeah before you're allowed to kick and scream and you know stamp your feet and say i wasn't consulted you probably were consulted in that professional association arena so make sure you're reading your professional association newsletters if they're not if you know that this affects you and this is going to have an impact and look you just use the example of an interior designer i in a million years would i have thought that 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 sort of level of expertise or that area of expertise would be affected but if you have an opinion on this and you feel strongly about it and it's going to affect your business, then speak to your professional association. Are you speaking to the government on this? Are you a stakeholder? Why aren't we? Where do we sit with this? Because this is going to affect my business and I need to have a say. Yeah. So just, just remember that, everyone. That That's quite important. So th- those changes are mainly in regards to the lists. You did mention that the there's an abolition coming for the 457 and I read that it's basically just being replaced by two other ones is that the two lists you were referring to the short term and the medium to long term yeah so the 457 visa is actually being replaced by um what's currently known as the tss visa we don't know what the subclass at this stage will be what number it's going to be called um but yes the tss visa will have two streams and it will depend on the occupation list as to which stream you fall under so it will either have the short-term stream mm-hmm. of two years mm-hmm. with the possible uh, possibility to renew for a further two years or the medium term, um, which will be the four years. Um, the fees will also go up. Of course it will. On 1st of... Uh, yeah, going, quick, here's an opportunity to put the fees up. Let's do it. <laughs> the, they're going up on 1st of July by a minimal amount. You, the majority of these are going up, it looks like, by around $5, so it's nothing too major. Ah. Um, but is, that uh, for the, is that for the immigrant or for the business? Both. Okay. Both. Um, and then in um, March of next year, the TSS visa, the fees will change. So there'll be, um, for the short term, it will be 1150 And for the medium term, it will be 2400 So at the moment, it's um, 1070 regardless. Mm. So it is a bit of a jump, mm. uh, particularly if you're on the medium to long term list. There's a lot of other changes that will um, come, into, come into play as well uh, surrounding the labour market testing as I mentioned before, um, and also a higher standard of English will be required. So there's a lot of things that are that are coming into play, um, and they're also looking at revising that um, the training requirement for businesses. So at the moment, if you're a, if you're a business, they look at your payroll, and basically you have to have spent a certain percentage of that payroll on training Australians, and it's looking like it's going to turn more to like a levy that will be payable for each overseas worker that you look to employ. So, Hang on, so you pay that to the government? Yes. But then how's that improving your training 
Okay, you're not. They're not going to train your staff, are they? They're not training your staff, but they're. It's essentially a fund to train Australians. <gasps> no, it's not going into private colleges, is it? Because last last one I heard about broke down yesterday. So. <laughs> is um, it going to TAFE? We don't know. That would be good, wouldn't it? Hello. Here, here, ideas, people, ideas. Why don't we take the money that's the levy that's going from the overseas workers that goes back into the TAFE system to read? Oh, my God. Okay. I can see a a vision. I've got a vision. It's not (laughs) going to be listened to by anyone in the political sphere, but we'll give it a whirl. Uh, So this this levy is going to be based on the wages of everyone or just on the overseas workers do you know at, at the moment it's it's based on the wages of everyone so if you're looking to um, apply to become a business sponsor you've got an overseas worker the department will look at your overall payroll expenditure in the last 12 months and then they'll want to see that a certain amount of that has been dedicated to training and there's a question As, for small businesses because a lot of us do not even think about training opportunities for our staff and actually spending money on it but Realistically, happy staff means long-term, less turnover. Yep. We, we should be training our staff. And if this makes us think about that, even if we're not engaging with overseas workers, then all the better. Yeah. And and just on that as well, with when you are when you do have a commitment to, to training Australians, then it is essentially over the long term going to take away your need to actually look to the overseas market. Um, with the changes that are coming in in March of next year, it's looking like it's not so much going to be based on your payroll expenditure um, and a percentage of that. It's going to be based on, it's going to be just a set amount where they're going to say, look, you want um, one overseas worker, you have to pay this amount into the training fund. How they're going to monitor that, we're unsure. Um, whether if you're applying for a two or a four year visa, um, do you pay the two years up front? Or do you pay the four years up front or do you pay it each year? Mm. And how are they going to actually enforce it? And what's training? Uh, You know, you could see, I can envisage a whole bunch of corporates just sending through their... um their staff through Landmark, for example, is that considered training or is that sort of considered personal development? Uh, are they going to give specific training courses that you choose from? Are they um, going to send everyone to TAFE? No, I literally, if as of March next year, it will just be a payment that goes to the government into a training fund and then they'll allocate it how they see fit. That might be a good question for Julie and Lisa. What are you going to do with that fund? Yeah, it's kind of like the, um, what's that long-term fund that the government has for education? And medical, I don't know. It's a bunch of them, aren't there? Mm. Where we all we all pay levies for that for that particular yeah. fund. So, as, like as at now, there are strict requirements around training. What can and can't be included. Um, and if you are looking at potentially as a business, if you want further information on that, that's where we come in. We'll help you potentially identify areas that will be accepted by the department. Mm. Certain things. There's there's as I say, there's very strict rules around what can and can't be included. Um, and what is actually classed as training. And as you say, a lot of small businesses will say, look, I've got this really good overseas worker. And then we say, first question, what have you done training-wise? And they're like, mm, not mm, much. Mm. What, is, <laughs> so, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's then we sit down with them and, and have a chat and see if we can identify um, things like apprentices. Their wages can be classed in uh, as training. Um, recent graduates, uh some profession, if professional development courses, so, so expos, if there is um, 
an opportunity for professional development may be included. But as I say, it's, it's there are kind of strict param- parameters around what can and can't be included. Mm, mm, exactly, which there should be, because I mean, realistically, I can imagine businesses just going, oh yeah, just go and watch those webinars on whatever topic you like and we'll, we'll class that as you spending some time doing your training. So yeah, it's good that it's regulated. We're just going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this community service announcement. Um, Shelley and I just here from Simply Visas. We've been talking about the importance of having record, good record keeping. It's not just about payroll. It's not just about employment regulations or tax or GST. But in fact, in the instance of maybe considering taking on uh, an off offshore, uh, sorry, um, an overseas worker to come and work in your business, you have to have those records in place, don't you? Yep. So we're talking about processes and procedures. You have to show that you're employing people correctly. You've got training um, strategies there for all of your staff, not just the overseas workers. And of course, um, you need to show that you've done due diligence and made sure that you're getting people from attempting to try and work with Australians first. Now, that on that topic... Do you think there's a particular sector in the Hornsby area that relies more heavily than others in your experience on overseas workers? It's hard to say um, because obviously there is a number of different skilled occupations which you can look at for sponsorship. Um, I think to give you, I guess, an example of a a local business that I've worked with, um, he was a landscaping company and he had tried and tried and tried to source a landscape gardener and he came across a, a young fellow on a working holiday visa who turned out to be excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, was he, he experienced as well? He was experienced. So he was already here on a holiday visa, which means they could only work, correct me if I'm wrong, 20 uh, hours a week and only for six months of the year? For on a working holiday visa, which is um, you can you can only work for up to six months with one employer. Ah. So it, it, the visa lasts for 12 months and then you can kind of go off, do some travel. Um, Pick work. some fruit. If you want to extend it by, for a further two years, uh, for, for a further year, then yes, you go off and do your fruit picking or that is work a good in a thing. regional I think area. that's good because it makes the backpackers and, you know, the European backpackers who are trying to get as much time here as they possibly can into regional centres spending their money yeah where yeah. they're needed it's, yeah. a, it's a good idea well done government <laughs> golf clap um so what other sectors around here uh, are you're finding have the demands i would say um construction yes yeah. um marketing and it yeah. as well um yeah it just it really just depends on the company it depends what like where what uh, sector they work in um, what skill sets they're looking for, and as I mentioned before, it could be a really niche skill set that they really can't locate here. Mm. Um, it just, yeah, it really depends. There's a lot of um, variables. So, when you look at the the, the 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 business breakdown in this area as well, it is a bit of a melting pot. Mm. I mean, you know, we can easily look around us and go, "Oh, construction! I'm being overrun." But we've got fantastic, um, lots of consultants and professionals in the area. There's there's obviously engineers. There's there's a great hospitality industry um and i'm going to get political with you now i'm going to ask you we talked we mentioned tafe a little bit earlier with the possibility of of having uh maybe a a levy coming out of all businesses that goes into a a sinking fund that can be used for training in general Mm -hmm. and what effect has the the decrease in 
the and this is this is widely broadcast the TAFE courses are being depleted um, I was just listening on um, ABC the other day about a gentleman who works as a landscape gardener mm-hmm. he has been employing uh, no sorry electrician no builder builder he's a builder and he's been employing uh, tr- apprentices for the last seven years <clears throat> he's had about 12 of them come through his business and he's been working with a, a number of them <coughs> excuse me and the question is um, he there's been a depletion like for example the full-time course is only three days facing now instead of five days in in your typical TAFE course are we just band-aiding a situation with a training levy because we are sucking the life out of what was the lifeblood of of apprentices and and training in this country in this state which is which is TAFE I really I'm just beginning to see a lot of correlations you know what, what's your opinion on that from from the immigration perspective are we are we gap filling because we are reducing the skill base of our, our workers here it's hard to say it's either that or we need to um, really focus on education of um, our younger generation and be getting out there to schools and seeing the benefits of of joint of of getting into a trade occupation like I mean, one thing I will say um, that I was quite surprised by with these um, occupation lists and which ones have been removed and which ones are staying on um, is that there are a lot of trade occupations that have remained on the medium to long term wow, list. Surprise, surprise. I mean, even and, as a layman, I can see that's logical. And I think, um, look, I, I don't know why it isn't as appealing as it once was for people to join trade occupations. Um, it's it's quite well known that there it's it's there's the earning capacity is great. <laughs> you um, some the the sparkies, the plumbers, the um, the builders, they have nice houses, nice cars, boats. I mean, the demand the is there the as well. The demand is there Look as at well. Sydney, it's exploding. So exactly. that's the question, isn't it? Why haven't we got kids? wanting to go and it's been decreasing and then we've got these private colleges who have been receiving government funds crazily as it is who are falling over and Mm. the ceos who are receiving million dollar payouts for their redundancy (laughs) and then meanwhile the tafe continues to work off the smell of an oil rag with really really dedicated staff and i'm sorry matt keen i am not a unionist i have not been talking to unions it is me existing in my local community and seeing what's happening and listening to the tradies who are screaming out to go back to those courses what they were and how fabulous they were world renowned Mm. and we're just depleting them and the only way the only you know correlation that we can see is the reduction in funding it Mm. doesn't make any sense Mm. So I guess this is this sort of this is real life implications here. Like you said, those construction working jobs remain on the list because we need overseas workers to fill the gap. Yeah, uh, and and I guess that's going to start bleeding through to other sectors as well. IT is a logical one. I mean, I was at CBIT for three days of last week. A lot of overseas workers, a lot of international students are moving into that sector. Um, perhaps that's that's a big picture question that we need to be asking the politicians. Yeah. Yeah. It does really affect us here. Yeah, definitely. So just to recap today, we've talked about um, the, the changes that are occurring and what your process needs to be. I mean, that process doesn't seem like it's changed too much. You've still got to have really good due diligence and good record keeping. And uh, and then we, we moved on to talking about the changes and, and the different lists and, and when the abolition is going to take place um, and, uh, and making sure that you're part of a professional association and part of the conversation as well. So those of you out there who are thinking about engaging with a, a local 
yay for local. Uh, a local immigration specialist. Um, just give us a quick plug for where your website is and how they can find out more information. So our website is uh, www.simplyvisas.com. Um, if you have any general questions, feel free to get in touch at any time. It's I find it's always best um, to to get in touch before things turn pear shaped. So um, to get the uh, the information that you need in the first instance, rather than attempting something that you're unfamiliar with, um, we do work with a lot of businesses, large and small. So um, when it comes to applying to the department, it's always best to ensure a successful outcome for your business and for the overseas worker that you're looking to bring on. Um, obviously track records are important when it comes to the department as well as compliance so um, yeah definitely if you have any questions whatsoever I'm more than happy to help we do a free initial assessment and um, and then yeah we we can address any questions that you have with regards to the immigration process so it sounds like you need to get on the front foot you need to be organized if you can foresee this in your business future start your record keeping know what it is that you need to have in place and again engage with local uh, expertise to find out well, what do I need to do to be organized for when this actually happens because like you said like everything with the government, it's a slow, steady train and it's maybe a, you know, how, how many step process? Six months? Yeah, it's a long time. Worst case scenario, six Worst months. Ca- I'm just going to go with six <laughs> months. I'm just going to assume every one of them is six no, Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Shelley. You've Pleasure. been very informative and interesting. And of course, as always, if you've missed any of today's show, you can catch up on our smallbizmatters.com.au website. Go to the blogs and podcast page. Sydney, you have been listening to Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. We will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.